you've got a particular job, you've got it on your merits. Um, and you're not, you're not there under false pretenses. And a lot of people forget that. You've got to put it in context. Why are you there? Why are you in your job? Why did you get to where you are? Because people believed in you and because you do have the talent. Welcome to the Lifestyle First podcast, discussing lifestyle medicine and making self-care as easy as one, two, three. And now your host, lifestyle medicine physician and coach, Dr. Alka Patel. Hi, hey, and hello, and welcome. Today, the one question that we're asking is, how can I banish imposter syndrome? Now, to help answer that, I have with me two wonderful guests. So let me introduce you now to Leah Sellers and Roz Adler. They are from the Confidence People. Lee is a media trainer and she's a communications consultant and she's been a producer on programs which I'm sure you'll be familiar with such as Question Time and Newsnight and Channel 4 News and Rosalind she's a trainer specializing in communication skills and her work is very much informed by her parallel careers as an actress and a writer and I was so delighted to have you both here with me today. We're talking about imposter syndrome. It's two words I think that we really are using increasingly. In fact, just before I I came on here, I decided to Google imposter syndrome and came up with, let me have a look, 12,800,000 search results, which which is huge. People are talking about this. And I have to say every single week, I have clients who say to me, I need help with imposter syndrome. So Lee, maybe I can start with you. Let's get a definition going here. What do we actually mean when we talk about imposter syndrome? Well, as you say, it's one of those buzzwords at the moment and everybody's talking about it, but we found one of the best definitions comes from Dr. Denise Cummins. She's an American research psychologist. And she says, the telltale sign of imposter syndrome is a disconnect between perceived and actual performance. Imposters have ample objective evidence that they're doing well, good performance reports, promotion history, grades, etc. Yet they feel that somehow they've been faking it or skating along on thin ice. Any minute now, they're going to be unmasked and revealed to be a fraud. That's the end of her quote. But the key is Dr. Cummins's word, disconnect. In a nutshell, it's the feeling that Other people have got it wrong. They have an inflated idea of your talents or a fear that your lack of abilities will be found out at any moment and a tendency to attribute success solely to external factors such as luck. And most people have bouts of imposter syndrome at various times in their lives, don't they? It might be a new school, a new job or whatever. And by the way, it affects men as well as women. A lot of people will have read that Helen Mirren says she suffers from it. And Ros will tell you a lot of actors do. (laughs) Yeah. So you've brought up a few really interesting things there, Lee. Um, First of all, this sense that it's very common. And I think Dr. Cummins' work sort of talks about 70% of us have experienced it. But you've also said that it's a buzzword. And certainly from a doctoring angle, from a medical angle, when we add the word syndrome onto something, (laughs) we're sort of almost medicalizing this. What do you think about that imposter syndrome? Is there really, is it really a syndrome? Is it something that 
it's just words that connect us all with this common human experience. Or do you think there needs to be something around the diagnosis of this more formally? I think it's a useful shorthand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is, we've come across this before, that there's a slight danger that it over-medicalizes it because as Lee just said, it affects probably all of us at some time in our, in our lives in different situations. Um, so I haven't got a final opinion on that. It's just easy to say, and I don't know what one would substitute it with, um, but I think people recognize it as a, as a shorthand. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think if we go to the layers that lie underneath imposter syndrome, my sense when I talk to my clients and patients is it's all connected to fear. Yes, that's right. That is exactly where it's rooted. It's rooted in a fear of failure or, or, or sadly an expectation of failure um, and therefore um, an insurance or an attempted insurance against failure. Mm-hmm. And I think this ex- expectation of failure does, when we do work on imposter syndrome with people, we tend to work on the idea of expectation is very central because, as you will know, sometimes we have expectations of ourselves that we don't that we don't know we don't know we have. <laughs> uh, then we have also it's interesting to trace where expectations come from. Are they ours? Are they somebody else's that have been implanted? Blah blah blah. Um, but this expectation of failure um, is something that I think ticks along unconsciously inside many of us. Yeah, and you mentioned you obviously your field in, in the acting world, it doesn't feel like it's an uncommon phenomenon. Certainly my field, we're working with professionals, doctors, um, um, other professionals as well. Do you think this is something that does impact on, what can I say, high achievers or high strivers? Is this something more specific about imposter syndrome affecting that sort of cohort of, of people? I think, yes. I mean, it does typically affect high achievers. So using a theatrical thought, um, a lot of, most of Shakespeare's plays are written by about kings and queens because they're people of very high status who have a lot further to fall. Mm-hmm. And therefore the plays are often about a complete reversal of status. So I think imposter syndrome affects high achievers because the higher you climb up the ladder, when you look down, <gasps> there's further to go. Yeah, gosh, that's a great analogy, actually, really, uh, really interesting to visualise that sense of how far do you have to have to fall. Um, And Lee, you mentioned something as well a little bit earlier about the male female divide. I know um, you also uh, shared with me Valerie Young's book, who talks about the secrets, uh, thoughts of successful women. Now, is there this divide between men and women and the gender differentiation between the experience of imposter syndrome? What, What do you know? Well, certainly it affects men as well as women. People like Jamie Oliver, Steve Coogan, all kinds of men have said they suffer from it as well, apart from actors. Um, But men sometimes manifest it in a different way because sometimes it can disguise itself as overconfidence. And as we know, there are people who have too much bravado. We've all seen them in our schools, in our workplace, whatever. And you think there's something going on underneath there. So sometimes men will hide it in overconfidence, Mm -hmm. whereas women may keep their heads down, be quiet in meetings, be overzealous and keep their heads down and write a lot. And that's called the tiara syndrome, hoping that they will be noticed. Now, that's not general. You know, all men are like that. All women are like that. But it can be that men manifest it differently. 
Mm. It's like the shorthand of calling it imposter syndrome. The generalizations can be tricky. But I think the other, the other difference between men and women is, again, a generalization, is that, uh, yeah, as, as Lee said, women will get their heads down and try and work even harder than everybody else to make up for what they see as their deficiencies. Whereas men might um, manifest it more by procrastinating because if you set yourself up not to do it very well, then there you go. Let's see, your, your expectations are fulfilled and people will think you're a bit lazy rather than stupid, which is what you are frightened of them thinking. Mm. Okay, so thank you for that. So just to expand a little bit then on sort of maybe the constellation of feelings or thoughts or emotions that people might be experiencing that we can put under this umbrella of imposter syndrome, because there seems to be a huge bandwidth for what might fall under this 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 uh, syndrome well it certainly as Ross said before comes from an underlying fear a fear that you will be found out as being a fraud so there are ways of hiding it like um as I said keeping a low profile being quiet in meetings uh, a fear of voicing your own thoughts and as we know particularly with women that um that we train they're often afraid of voicing their own opinions, of finding their own voice of authority, mm -hmm. if you like. Um, and not celebrating success because it feels like bragging or being dismissive of your own expertise. So it can lead to a waste of talent because you're not going for promotions and you're not putting your best foot forward, really. So mm -hmm. it can, it can, mean missed opportunities and being risk averse so it can have a, a lot of effects but the underlying thing is often a fear mm. and I think that that fear is again something we probably I would think the vast majority of us know about which is the fear of not being enough or not being good enough I think most people understand that feeling um, at some points in their lives and also it leads to these <laughs> comparisons uh, with other people and, and people often feel like outsiders if they feel they don't fit in with the prevalent culture or they're the wrong gender or they're the wrong age or they're the wrong sexual orientation or the, I'm using wrong in inverted commas here you know background or or, or or class or education all those all those things and you know when Lee and I started out we were training and it still happens to some extent we, we train men and women but uh, when we started out, we were focusing more on women and a lot of them felt that they should, it's a devastating word for most imposters, <laughs> they should be more like men. So there was this attempt to mimic what they felt was the correct model. Yeah, yeah. So there is something from what you've just said about normalization in a way, is if you said, well, we all experience this at, at some point point in our lives and there's something important there isn't there is that allowing that experience to just be part of you is uh is okay but it's when it starts to overtake and as you said um lee holds you back means that you do miss out on opportunities that's really the time to think well this is now actually bigger than me and it's a signal for me to do something about it because i think if we rush into I've got imposter syndrome at that first sense of oh I'm not feeling good enough or oh what do people think about me we again risk 
medicalizing or being overdiagnostic about what is a you know common human experience, the common emotions that we all fear. We need to feel that sense of self-compassion about having those, but also recognize when is the time to take that next step as well. So what do you feel that next step should be if you do recognize and goodness you know spending a lot of my time thinking about this it's holding me back or it's taking over what I want to do what would be the next step uh, to take well one of the most important things is self-awareness um understanding that you know oh it might be a bit of imposter syndrome not panicking it's very interesting to hear your doctor's perspective on this because overdiagnosing and overlabeling is not helpful but also understanding that self-doubt can be a strength you know a recognition of humility that you can't know it all and frankly unless we're brain surgeons um it's fine not to know it all we all make mistakes and it's good to learn from mistakes nobody is perfect so the way we can um, rise above it, if you like, is, is self-awareness, understanding what other people think about you, um, that, you know, if you've got a particular job, you've got it on your merits um, and you're not, <laughs> you're not there under false pretenses. And a lot of people forget that. They forget that they got to where they are on their own merits and suddenly to lose confidence. It is very common, but you've got to, Put it in context. Why are you there? Why are you in your job? Why did you get to where you are? Because people believed in you and because you do have the talent. Mm. But by going swinging back all the way to what we said right at the beginning was that you know this, you've got the piece of paper, you've got the qualification, you've got the accolades, you've got the praise, you've got all of that, but you don't believe it. No, and I think that's important because... Feeling, having imposter syndrome, maybe just temporarily, it's not the same as feeling that you're inept sometimes, because sometimes you are inept sometimes, and sometimes, you know, it's not about not feeling confident. As Lee said, self-doubt is really important. It's that disconnect. It's that feeling, everybody, this is making me think of somebody in my life right now, everybody is telling you that you are good, your documents are telling you you are good, but you are determined to think that you're a bit rubbish. Um, it's that is that is the imposter syndrome and that is what needs addressing and one thing we do find when we give especially when we give talks to large groups of people who are just as it were consuming what we're saying rather than in a workshop where we're much more um, interactive is that they say oh the relief of knowing that I'm not alone because a lot of people who have it quite severely think that they're the only one and that's very lonely position to be in so I think, in a way, the, the very first step is to think, oh, my God, it's not just me. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a common human experience, yes. isn't it? And now, here is your lifestyle first prescription. Your three activating actions to take you from knowing to doing. Okay, so can you now maybe then give us three actions that listeners who perhaps are resonating with this, picking up some of those signs in themselves, thinking, okay, I want to do something about this. We talked about how to banish imposter syndrome. So give us three ways to to really start to do that. Well, as you've just said, um, do I have it? Self-awareness is the number one action point, recognizing it in yourself and noticing if any of these characteristics we've been talking about 
ring a bell with you. And if anything does resonate, the next step, action point number two, is to be willing to entertain other perspectives. It's possible that other people's good opinion of you is justified and you can reevaluate what it is you bring to the table. Um, and the third one, I'm going to let Ros do, the third action point. All right, I will, but I will, there's something that Lee has a very good story about this. The third action point is to keep a praise file. That's either in a notebook or on your laptop or whatever. Just anything that somebody says nice about you that day, just note it down because our temptation as a species, we humans, is, I think, to accentuate the negative and to get drawn by that and to just keep pulling yourself back to, oh, my God, I did that, I did that, and she said that. How brilliant. But I was getting, Lee's got a good story about um, somebody we worked with, the obstetrician. Do tell that. Yes, a consultant obstetrician. In the NHS, as you'll know, Alka, they have 360-degree appraisals. Mm -hmm. So she was being appraised by midwives, nurses, fellow doctors, all the people she worked with. Everybody gave her a very, very high score except for one person. Guess who that was? Herself. So in that case, you know, she needed to believe what other people said about her and not just put her own beliefs about herself as the def definition of who she was. Yeah. Um, on the praise file, it's a good idea to keep um, anything anybody says to you, whether it's verbal or written or a WhatsApp or anything at all, and just keep it all in one place to remind yourself that, you know, people do think you're good. <laughs> yeah, and it's so interesting hearing you, you say this again, you know, these are exactly the sorts of clients that, that I have this exact same um, experience of is that you zone in on that one negative instead of those five positives. You come home remembering the one thing that didn't go quite to plan in your day and you forget the five other things that you really have uh, been ex excelled in or someone else has, has, uh, has said something positive about you. They say, don't they, that for every one negative, you need five positives to really count. Yes. Uh, 99, I think. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's more than that. Add a few extra, extra zeros. But yeah, very interesting because I did actually start to keep my own little praise uh, praise diary. It was actually Good. a book that I kept on my desk um, um, over the years and I've continued to do this because we don't capture those moments there's something there's two things there one is about pausing on the praise and allowing yourself to just marinate in that and capturing that moment because we don't we go oh thanks and we move on to the next and sometimes we don't even say oh thanks we almost sort of block the praise and mm -hmm. um, are not really able we don't have the skill to accept praise I think that's something else there isn't there as well I know we've uh, we've gone off piece with the conversation but there's <laughs> another part of this which is about how do you accept the praise and the thank you um, with the humility but also with this sort of almost boldness that says yeah that's me I did but that that's, but that, we, we do cover that in our training because it's important and we do say to people are you batting away praise and compliments because actually coming out of one's own head for a moment and putting yourself in the shoes of the person who has just complimented you. If I say to Lee, oh, that's a lovely jacket, is that new? And she said, oh, that's nothing. I just, you think, oh, well, sorry then. <laughs> so it, it, it's a little bit hurtful for the person to be dismissed like that. And the answer is thank you. It, <laughs> it's being English and being female doesn't help either, but you know, <laughs> we just say thank you. <laughs> and you agree.
Oh, wonderful. Thank you. You've given, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You've given us plenty, uh, plenty to think about. I'm sure this will have sparked um, some curiosity in people who are listening today. So how do we reach out to you? What's the best way to, to reach you? I think the best way is through our website. It's theconfidencepeople.com. It does what it says on the tin. So yes, we'd love to hear from anybody that, who, who thinks we could be of help. And our direct email is info at theconfidencepeople.com. Lovely. I shall put all of that information onto uh, this description. So, yes, definitely. I'm sure people will be reaching out to you because we talk about this a lot, don't we? Confidence and imposter syndrome now, 12 million hits on, on Google. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experience today, which leads me simply to wish everyone a happy, healthy day. Thank you, Elka. Thanks for joining us on the Lifestyle First podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. To learn more, please visit www.dralkapatel.com.